Hi, welcome to Publisher Nation, season two. My name is Bradley Metrock. I'm executive producer of Digital Book World. Publisher Nation is the official podcast of Digital Book World. Digital Book World 2020 is coming up uh, in September in Nashville. September 14th is the in-person component, which is sold out. September 16th is the worldwide online event, DBW Global, for which passes are still available. We are fortunate to have two great guests on this show today, and we're going to have a conversation about the state of trade publishing and where it sits uh, amidst the pandemic that we're in, as well as other conditions going on. So it'll be a great discussion. Our first guest is Lindy Ryan. Lindy, say hello. Hi, good morning. Good morning to you. Thank you for joining us. Uh, tell us who you are. Tell us who you're with. Tell us what you do. All right, I'm, I'm Lindy Ryan. I am president of Black Spot Books. We are a newly acquired imprint of Vesuvian Media Group. And I am also the chief content officer of Rosewind Books, which is a very recently announced new division of Vesuvian Media Group. Uh, Vesuvian Media Group is a books to film multimedia corporation. So we really specialize in um, bringing new and exciting diverse voices into the publishing community and looking for projects that are going to translate from the written word to the screen. Um, as of next week, I'll also be taking my seat on the board of directors for the Independent Book Publishers Association. Congratulations. Yeah, you're so, <clears throat> so you're busy. Uh, thank you for giving us some of your time, Lindy. We greatly appreciate that. Lily. Our second guest is Bill Gladstone. Bill, say hello. Hello. Bill, thank you for joining us. Just like Lindy, tell us who you are. Tell us what you do. Okay, well, it could take the entire half hour, so I'll just give the streamlined version. Um, I'm the founder and owner of Waterside Productions, which is one of the premier literary agencies in the world. We've placed, oh, I think it's over 10,000 books with hundreds of publishers, some of our biggest successes are the Four Dummies book series, individual titles from authors like Marie Kondo, Eckhart Tolle, and on and on. Some celebrity authors thrown in there, like Neil Young, Pamela Anderson. So we do a lot. I have a, a you know, we, we've actually generated, I added it up, over $5 billion in retail book sales. We also have a strong film division. So I'll be talking with Lindy, probably, who I've just met on this call. Uh, we have lots of properties that make great films. Um, I'm also an author myself. I've, I've written about a half dozen, maybe a dozen by now books, one of which the 12 sold over half a million copies. So I know what it is to be a best-selling author. I've also written books that have sold fewer than 2,000 copies. So I know what it's like to be a struggling author. So I, I really have a good overview of things. And we've recently... Uh, launched Waterside Online Learning. And the first course is The Power of Publishing, which is a seven-hour video course, mostly me telling people what to do and what not to do if they want to get published, whether it's self-publishing, hybrid publishing, or traditional publishing, how to get an agent, all those details. And uh, that course, I, I'm not that much of a self-promoter. I don't even know the websites where that course is available. It was released just this week. So I'll probably eventually learn it, but if people are interested, they can probably just go and Google me and somehow or go to our website, waterside.com. And there's probably some place where they can find out where that course is. But um, that's my, my current big project. 
Um, and I'm just delighted to be here. And I love books. I was brought up in the book business. My father founded a book publishing company in 1936, Arco Publishing. So I literally grew up in this business and I've been working in every aspect of publishing my entire life. And um, you know, anything I can do to help people uh, write and distribute books effectively, um, I'm delighted to do so. Thank you both very much for those introductions. You both are extremely distinguished. You, you both have two very different lines of sight on the publishing landscape, and I think it'll lend, lend itself well to this discussion we're about to have here. So, Lindy, I'm going to start with you, and I'm going to make it real simple. What is the current state of the, of the trade publishing landscape in your estimation? Oh goodness! Real simple. Um, I, I think right now, obviously, things everything is is kind of challenging and and difficult um, with the current state of affairs and in, in the world around us. Um, but I think there's a a lot of hope inside the publishing community. There's a lot of um, new endeavors. There's a lot of you know new voices that are bubbling to the top. A lot of new ideas and inspiration. So while we're simultaneously in you know a moment of kind of bleak darkness as a, you know as a whole, I think publishing is, is a ray of sunshine ready to break through with um, all of the, the the new people and new voices and new stories that are coming coming in at this time. So I think um, very soon we're going to be able to kind of permeate that, and there's going to be a lot of excitement, um, even more so that's always inside the publishing community coming back out. No, no, that's great. And with with black and it's black spot, right? Black spot books, yes. Yeah. So with black spot, particularly, um, has there been any? Maybe what's been the most surprising thing that you've seen? Um, and and I'll turn around and ask uh, Bill the same thing in just a minute. But what's what's the most surprising thing that you've seen amidst this pandemic with regards to? your books, your titles, uh, your, your publishing operations. Can you put your finger on one particular thing that maybe caught you by surprise, good or bad? Um, well, a couple of things. I think, um, you know, as a whole, at Vesuvian, you know, we have seen so much audience support for our authors and our authors being able to find so many interesting new ways to connect directly with their readers, um, which has been, um, you know, kind of surprising, but very amazing. Um, sometimes it's difficult to really make that personal connection between authors and their audiences and really give authors a chance, especially in the small press world. You know, we don't do the big book tours um, and those types of events. And so many of the, you know, bookstore events and library events have been, you know, canceled or closed or postponed. So being able to have, you know, ongoing live conversations from authors on social media or virtual book events really provide interesting and innovative new ways for audiences to make a you know, direct connection to their audience um, these authors and authors to expand you know beyond you know uh, to readers who might otherwise not have been able to be in contact through some of those more traditional events so that's been um you know a surprising point that we're grateful for and building those author brands and those author communities and those tractions around our books. The other thing has been um, a lot of extra Hollywood interest coming in. While folks are at home and productions are shut down, people are reading a lot more. Um, so we've our network has expanded and we've made new connections and built new relationships that have really come about because of enhanced opportunities to connect with people during the downtime. So um, you know there had certainly been some drawbacks and some challenges, but those types of connection and relationship buildings 
activities have been greatly enhanced with you know more folks at home, more time to connect. So grateful for those. Interesting. Bill, I'm going to ask you the same couple of questions here. Let's just start with, in your estimation, from your point of view, what is the current state of trade publishing today? Well, I'd like to quote Tale of Two Cities. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Depends where you are in the industry. Um, we just got an email before this call letting us know that all of the buyers, the book buyers at Barnes & Noble have been laid off. Part of that may have been in the works anyway because Waterstone uh, is now, which is a larger uh, chain in England, the same company that owns Waterstones and the same CEO is now running Barnes & Noble. But what this means is they're gonna centralize the system for purchasing books for Barnes & Noble stores. Um, we already know that um, Barnes & Noble is going to be buying far fewer titles and fewer copies, what they call the, uh, you know, this in-stock allocations used to be for 12 weeks. Now they're going to be for six weeks. This is going to have a very uh, negative impact on book publishers, um, particularly the smaller publishers, um, in terms of bookstore sales. The good news on this side is bookstores are unfortunately increasingly less significant. Uh, bookstores used to be 90% when I was starting. Uh, you know, bookstores are now probably under 20%. But it's still, you know, very important. And the real importance is buying books in bookstores allows for browsing and allows for discovering new authors. So it's really important that we do whatever we can to maintain the bookstore segment of the publishing business. Personally, um, trade publishing, which is what we do as an agency, is thriving for us. Um, as I tell people, all of my writers are at home writing and all of the readers are at home reading. So we're actually seeing more activity, more contracts. And in terms of actual book sales, even with the bookstores being shuttered for most of the last three months, we are up as an industry in trade publishing, only about a quarter of 1%, but we're actually up as an industry year over year, which is amazing. And then when you add in the increase in audiobook sales and ebook sales because of the pandemic, um, I actually see that the industry as a whole will be at a higher revenue level this year than last year. That's interesting. Um, I guess part of that has to be what Andy Hunter's doing with Bookshop. Have you seen that? Yes, um, that's certainly a contribution um, and it's helped a lot of the independent stores. There's some controversy around it because, you know, stores that have their own online, you know, feel it could be competitive. But, you know, it's a good thing for the industry, I feel. And, um, you know, certainly it's contributing. But, you know, if you look at it, you know, in the big picture, this industry is really still all about Amazon. Amazon controls 70 percent of the entire North American market. And that percentage will probably increase. So, no, that's that's uh, that's really interesting. Yeah. And so, you know, other than the sales being up, which uh, I think is a surprise, is there anything else that has taken place over the course of the last three, four months, or the twenty twenty thus far? Well, because of the the you know Black Lives Matter activity, there's you know, books that you know, used to sell, you know, 20 copies a month are, are selling 2,000 
you know, or more. I mean, that whole category, the, the whole awareness, I think, uh, you know, what Lindy spoke about in terms of more diversity, um, you know, that is happening. And that's a change that, you know, long overdue in publishing. But there's, there's some, you know, structural problems with that. If you look at the nature of the workforce, it, it's not something that can change overnight. But, you know, certainly there, there is going to be increased diversity within the, the world of publishing in terms of, you know, what books can get published. But, you know, it's a slow process. It takes, you know, in most cases, if you're dealing with traditional publishing, a year or more to even get a book published. So you're not going to see, you know, the impact right away. I happened to see the other day, um, it was, a, uh, um, I think it was a, a black bookstore in um, somewhere in New York City that, that you know, that is owned in by the Bronx. Black- yeah. yeah, in the in the Bronx, I think is where it right. was. And they the story was that they had been so overwhelmed with uh, orders that you know they're communicating to their customers, hey, thank you very much. It's just gonna take us a little bit of time. Um, what a fascinating scenario. What a good scenario for them. Well, bookstores are more than just commercial locations. This is what I think people are beginning to understand. And why there's because that's just one example. There's been at least a dozen that I know of communities that have basically bailed out an independent bookstore because they the community feels the bookstore is essential to the fabric of their community. And I think you know, in an ideal situation, we would have many more independent bookstores. It's just from a commercial perspective with Amazon, with Barnes and Noble, with you know, and particularly right now, very very difficult, very challenging. So I'm going to shift gears just a hair, and Lindy, I'm going to come back to you. I want to I want to ask both of you the question. I'm going to start with you, uh, Lindy. What is so we talked about the state of trade publishing. We talked about some things that y'all have found surprising. Um, this is digital book world, after all. Tell me what one thing that has stood out to you as the best use of technology in publishing that you've seen recently? And it can be something you, maybe you've seen on the marketing side, maybe it's something on the production side, something, you know, maybe how a ebook or audiobook was put together. Uh, maybe it's something else altogether. Give me something interesting that you've seen uh, technology wise uh, applied to publishing. Oh goodness, okay. Um, I may have to piggyback on Bill's answer and give myself a little bit more time to think. Um, but I know that you know recently there have been some changes. Um, there's always some ongoing changes inside the digital book world in terms of digital book publishing with different ebook um, platforms and formats and with audiobooks kind of taking uh, the lead as this new um, very in-demand digital product. And uh, you know, especially during the pandemic, we've certainly seen our ebook, um, our ebook sales and our ebook market kind of um, take the lead over the print side in a, in a lot of scenarios. But audiobooks are, you know, a, a phenomenon that I'm really fascinated by. Um, and, you know, we released our first two audiobooks at Black Spot this year, and we released them early and ahead of schedule because of the need to meet, you know, demand for content while folks were at home. Um, so I'm a really big fan of the multi-voice audiobook productions or the audiobook productions that also include, you know, some of the background noises or sound effects or um, the, you know, ambience and music. Um, so I am, you know, very impressed by those endeavors and how they really bring extra storytelling components into just the audiobook narration. 
Um, so that I think was is the first thought that comes to my head is the way that we're, you know, creating audiobooks that aren't straight narration. They really have that kind of old radio talk show feel um, with larger full scale productions. Um, and, and yeah, that, that's what comes to my mind first. I'd be anxious to hear Bill's thoughts there. Oh, sure. No, that's great. Um, I agree with everything Lindy has commented on. What we're observing is that audiobooks are the hottest category in all publishing right now. And I love uh, what Lindy was saying about multi-narration and you know, adding you know, side effects, music. You know, I, I think that there's a great opportunity because the technology allows that now at much lower cost. That said, what we're also seeing because of the pandemic is that many of our authors who have chosen to narrate their own books were able to do so in one case, just using their smartphone. I mean, the technology <laughs> available to individual authors is such that it's no longer absolutely necessary, obviously it's preferred, to go into a recording studio. So that also is creating, particularly for our uh, newer authors who don't already have established uh, you know, fan base, uh, an ability to get their audios done less expensively. Um, we're also seeing great uh, offers from the big publishers. I mean, we just renewed a license for our Conversations with God audio trilogy, and the amount of money that we were able to get just for the renewal was more than that audio had made in the first 10 years of its initial release. So there's a lot of good news uh, you know, on the audio side. Um, talking about technology itself, particularly in terms of eBooks, I had the experience, I've always been sort of on the cutting edge of everything. I actually, with uh, Stephen Potash, who went on to create Overdrive, launched the very first ebook company. We were too early and so it didn't work. But um, I've always been on the cutting edge of the technology side of things. And so I also was one of the first people to work with Vook, which was gonna do the video books. And um, what we discovered was that Amazon was the biggest block because they didn't want to sell 10 totally you know, robust video books that would take up as much space as a thousand just straight text eBooks. So we investigated and we found out that it was, uh, the problem was that Amazon didn't want to purchase the more sophisticated chips from Intel because it would have increased the production cost of the Kindle. So the whole project went nowhere, which is one of the reasons you're not seeing what we could have because the technology exists in terms of really robust video books. Um, I think that that will eventually happen, but it probably isn't gonna happen anytime soon because I don't think Amazon has significant motivation to allow it to happen. So, you know, it's not just technology that we have to be looking at when you ask a question like this. It's also what is the structure of the business and what is the motivation of the big players to allow technology to become ubiquitous? That's a really interesting point. And so it's interesting, Bill, how Amazon is blocking uh, more advanced interactive content and, uh, you know, interactive multimedia. And, I, and also, you know, because I don't want to just single out Amazon because we are a white gloves partner with them. And I actually appreciate a lot of things. Oh, I was about to give them some props, but, but yeah. But no, the only thing I wanted to mention, it's not just Amazon. We also represent Neil Young, the, the, and, and Neil actually created technology that would have allowed for all downloads to be high fidelity, the highest possible fidelity. 
and the entire music industry, even though he had Madonna, Bob Dylan, and every major artist actually as investors in his company, his company couldn't succeed because the music industry didn't want it to happen. So this is just something that doesn't get talked about that much, but it's important that we're aware that the big companies, the multi-billion dollar companies do have vested interests in not allowing certain technologies to become ubiquitous that interfere with their you know, basic business structure. Well, sure. But, you know, on the other hand, uh, you know, while Amazon has certainly been uh, detrimental to to the growth of uh, interactive multimedia driven, you know, sort of next generation mm-hmm. ebooks, um, to Lindy's point, you know, I, I also love these uh, audio books that have this deep mm-hmm. production and the different voices and the audio soundscape to it. And with what Amazon has done with Alexa, yeah. it has actually uh, given a huge platform to those type of audio experiences, of which many of many of them now exist on Alexa. I think there's, you know, the other thing I would point out as far as voice assistants go, and Alexa specifically, is um, we're seeing a number of audio books and. Uh, you know, it's primarily audiobooks, but sometimes it's it's just uh, author content, whether it's podcast interviews or it's interviews. You know, uh, audio content from publishers make its way onto the Alexa platform, and um, specifically, there's been some audiobooks where the audiobooks brought over to Alexa, but then you've got appended to it an interview with an author where someone through Alexa can talk to an author and actually have uh, some semblance of a conversation. It's 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 an interesting uh, world we're living in, and and I, I feel like that ought to be pointed out as well with Amazon coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to close by asking you both a, uh, a question here. So we talked, you know, Black Lives Matters come up on this on this uh, show, um, and we sort of talked through uh, the 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 growth, uh, you know, the, the growth in the sales that they have seen uh, over the last few months. Um, conversely, there's been an interesting sort of sub-conversation within the publishing industry that I've been able to watch uh, that has no resolution that I've seen that basically involves, you know, uh, the fact that Trump is in office has hmm. been a benefit, an, un, un, an unambiguous benefit to the trade publishing industry um, in terms of sales. These bo- all these books, this Bolton book, it's selling, you know, oh, there's been a book, you know, Fire and Fury by Michael Wolf. I mean, there's been a bunch of these things. And um, whether they're talking negatively about it or whether it's some of Trump's books themselves, you know, these things have been selling. I want to get your thoughts on that. And, and Lindy, I'm going to start with you and then go to Bill and we'll close the show with this. I, I want to know what's your definition of censorship is with regards to trade publishing. Um, does trade publishing have uh, an obligation to give some of these things uh, the light of day, or uh, rather, does it have an obligation to not give some of these things the light of day? Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. And Lindy, I'll start with you. Let me give that just a couple seconds thought in, in my mind, Brad, before I sure. off a response. Um, it's a, a heavy question to close with. Um, I think 
Um, wow. Um, and to whatever extent you feel comfortable, uh, you know, approaching it, you know. I think the publishing industry has a twofold obligation being one part of that is to preserve the creative integrity of the voices inside publishing to, you know, give writers and authors the chance to express their stories and their narratives um, in ways that are genuine and authentic um, from their voices. I, I think that I, um, publishing also has the dual responsibility to, um, you know, to protect the, the, you know, the commercial aspects of the business um, and, and, and to, you know, again, preserving that integrity, um, you know, to do things through a lens of, you know, ethical perspective, uh, inclusivity, um, and open-mindedness. Um, at the end of the day, publishing does not exist without the creativity and the writing of the authors um, that have stories to tell. They are, you know, what bring books to life um, and what, you know, give us that product to sell. Um, so I think we should fully be standing behind our authors and our projects. Um, I know that there are circumstances when, you know, it becomes a little muddled, things arise that we don't expect, um, temperaments shift, things change. Um, but I do think that publishers should stand behind their authors and their products. And I think first and foremost, our responsibility is to those voices. Well said. Bill, your thoughts. Well, I've thought a lot about this for a lot of years. This isn't a new issue. Um, censorship. Fundamentally, i against any form of censorship. That said, that needs to be balanced with controls against hate and against violence. And I don't believe that, I mean, it's, you know, the old thing, you, you know, freedom of speech, but yelling fire in, in a theater when there's not a fire and creating mayhem is not acceptable. It's the same, I believe, with books. Um, we, for the most part, have only published, well, you know, I mean, we're such a big company, but, you know, we've probably only done 20 or 30 political related books. And, and we've done them on both sides, you know, uh, more, you know, what we would call the progressives. We represent Tom Hartman, who's the leading progressive radio talk show host in America. But I have no problem. And we published books from, you know, very, very conservative uh, authors as well. Um, and, you know, the reason we do that is there's, there's a big, you know, appetite on both sides. People want to hear their views voiced. That said, I think people do go over the line. I think there has been too much um, pampering to an author who may not be telling the truth at all just to sell books. And I, I believe that, you know, we do have an obligation for compassion and for diversity and for higher activity. We, we should always be encouraging our readers as well as our authors to be their highest and best selves in everything they do. And when we encourage something simply for the sake of making a quick buck, I think that we're, we're in danger. And I think that this industry has an obligation that is far greater than any normal business to reflect and to hopefully advance and serve as a catalyst to improve our society and our culture. So, you know, I take it very seriously. 
Um, I, I'm not going to censor, I'm not going to approve of censorship, but at the same time, I will not represent a book that I think is going to make a negative contribution in any way. Well put as well. Yeah. I, I feel like we would be remiss if we didn't ask that question uh, of both of y'all on, on this show. And, you know, we've seen a lot of different things. We've seen uh, an agent uh, lose uh, some of her agents because they didn't like uh, when and how she called the police. Uh, mm-hmm. We've seen uh, J.K. Rowling um, take heat, um, you know, with people seemingly forgetting uh, she's championed, you know, she'd spent a lot of money. She'd given a lot of money and championed a lot of uh, advocacy type of causes, but people didn't like the way that she described, uh, I think it was a, a transsexual, you know, comment that she made. And then all of a sudden the pitchforks came out. Mm-hmm. You know, I think patience, patience is, is a yeah. virtue uh, as well. And um, something we can all, all, all stand to remember. This has been a great conversation. I really appreciate uh, both of y'all being part of this. Um, this episode kicks off our 10 slate, 10 episode slate of Publisher Nation season two. Lindy, Bill, thank you both very much for being part of this with us today. Thank you. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. Very much was a pleasure. And Lindy, uh, send me an email. We'll definitely send you some properties that you might want to convert to film. Yeah, Bill, let's talk, huh? <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll let y'all have that conversation for Publisher Nation, Season 2, Episode 1. Thank you for listening. Until next time.